You're listening to Mapleview Community Church Podcast. You know, God's good. He's doing things and he's redeeming lives and he's changing hearts. And, and you know, there's so much that, that is uh, the life and the complexity of our, of our uh, current culture is, is filled with challenges, but no less challenging than generations ago. It's no less challenging. We're not, you know, something we think, we, boy, this is the toughest. That's not true. There's all through history, there's been absolute tremendous difficulties and uncertainties. And I'm going to have Will stand with me up here by the Canadian flag. He's got, he's donning some Canadian uh, uh, paraphernalia from uh, years gone by and thought it would be interesting and nice to have him here as, you know, he would be at the typical age, 25 25 years old, he would be among those guys laying down their life on uh, Juno Beach all those years ago. And uh, to know that, you know, if you don't know, it, it, just a little bit of correlation too. Will's my son, my father. No, he's not my father-in-law. <laughs> he's, he's, I know he looks a lot older than me, but he really isn't. He's, he's my son-in-law. And, you know, to, to know, to look in the beaches over there, to know that your son-in-law, your son, your, 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 your father, whatever, it was on those beaches, it's real. I want you to know that, that the, these days and those days were real. They were real people, real dreams. And so why does, why does or should we remember, uh, does Remembrance Day even matter? Why does Remembrance Day matter today? And I was thinking this, and, and this is, uh, I don't know who, if they're here this morning, second or whatever. I, I was thinking about, especially for those not born in Canada or raised in Canada, like you're coming as new Canadians over here. Why are you commemorating uh, these, these wars? Why would you do that? Like, and, and you can lose the context some if you come from another location, another place or whatever. Why, why, and it may, not, it may not resonate in your heart the same way as it might be for some of us who have had grandparents and serve. And I was talking to Mike Coppin uh, on his way out. He says, my grandfather actually uh, was sunk uh, in the North Atlantic and died in the North Atlantic um, with a German U-boat many years ago. And why, why, why do you do this? What's, why is it important? And uh, it's, first off, let me say this. Canada's Remembrance Day, for me, is, it's not a political affair. It's not about a political day where you get to pick sides that, uh, you know, whether you're liberal, Democrat, or conservative, or, or it's, not about whether the good, it's not about good guys and bad guys here. It's, it's about remembering those young men and women who, who actually gave their life. For, for, for a reason, for a cause. Uh, they, they laid their life down. It's, it's not a political thing. Why do, why do we? Well, as so, sad as it may sound, war, war has shaped Canada and Canadians for hundreds of years. That last Saturday, I took a weekend off, and uh, I was in the Canadian War Museum in Ottawa last Saturday, or not yesterday, but a week ago, Saturday, and uh, walking through, and that's what that was the first that was the first plaque that I saw is uh, that c- war has shaped Canada and Canadians for hundreds of years. So if you're a new Canadian, why do we do this? Well, today we live in such a wonderful country, and it's one of the more sought-off places in the globe to live. It's because, in large part, for for men and women of years gone by that we barely even remember anymore and don't put a connection to that we're here today with with these opportunities. What they, what, what Canadians have done in the past, so it may not like resonate. Like we're not celebrating war; we don't celebrate war, but we commemorate those that have gone. So it's with thankful hearts 
that I look back at people that I don't even know that have allowed me and given me the privilege of living in a free country to make decisions and choices. It, it, it's, it can't be lost. It's not lost on me. It never is lost on me, the, the importance of those that have gone before us. And so my, if I had a sermon, a message title, and it's, it'd be just remember me. Remember me. There's a passage of scripture in Luke's gospel that kind of just, just, just tugged on my heart earlier this, this a couple weeks ago, months ago, whatever, regarding the coming of November, that this is a month of remembrance. I mean, we started last week with Jason sharing about remembering the persecuted church and all those tens of thousands of people around the globe that cannot freely meet as we meet like this and that also are being martyred for the cause of Christ and then our own Remembrance Day service and then the end of the month we have our comfort service which has been a real part of our legacy over the years where we come and we remember those in our own families that are no longer with us and the part they played in helping us become the people we are. We'll be doing that a little bit later on in the month but but there's this passage in scripture that talks Jesus is dying on the cross at the hands of sinful men the son of the living God who had all power dies by the hands of sinful men. How many, how many people have died throughout the ages by the hands of sinful men? How many have faced all kinds of terror and horror at the hands of sinful men. As you walk through the museum, uh, Canadian War Museum, you see all kinds of different moments and times and, and, and actual physical vehicles and stuff that have the riddled with bullet holes and where people have died and, and all kinds of stuff. And so it's, it's, it can be a very moving moment thinking that real people have given their life so that we can have what we have today. As Jesus hung on the cross, dying for our sins, there was these two other thieves, criminals, both criminals, criminals that were being crucified at the very same time as Jesus. And as the soldiers were mocking Jesus, and as he was on the cross dying, as they were, as they were betting for his clothing and all kinds of stuff and slurs coming out, and one of the criminals got involved, one of the thieves also got involved in it and was, was spitting out his venom against Jesus. When, but one, the other man, the other man who was dying, and the other thief spoke out and said, asked Jesus to remember him. In his own words, he says this, as he's on the cross next to Jesus, I'm not sure about you know, privileges and, and, and different things. But little things really strike me. If you're going to die, something about being next to Jesus is somewhat of an honor. Just a weird kind of J-thought that we still talk about to this, this man. And what does he cry out? He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What an awesome moment. What a, what a moment in time that, that, uh, that this man who, who we don't even know his name or anything, he calls out. And the biggest memory of any memory that you can possibly have is that Jesus would remember you. Let's, let's, let me get back to my notes here. The idea of remembrance for me leads me into this day, remembering a 25-year-old Will Ferguson who chose to put his life in danger, that they need to be remembered. I think in the course of our short life, 
And it is short, for really short. We don't know how much time, but even if it's 80 or 90 years, it's still relatively short in light of eternity. In the course of our short time here, no matter what we have done or what we haven't done, I think when it comes to the end of our days, don't we all want to be remembered for something? Don't you want to have someone appreciate that you walk through this earth? It doesn't have to be necessarily the masses of people. You don't have to have your name on billboards. That's not the kind of memory I'm talking about. But isn't it some, something in this that at the end of our time, we know that somebody cared that we walked through this planet, this history? You know, this past week has been a bit of a challenge uh, here uh, because very suddenly in, uh, Bob Nakoff uh, passed away. You know, a good friend of Carly's. Every Sunday morning, I'd see him. He'd come uh, every Sunday morning. He'd be here during the tent times. And he, he's only been here for three or four years. But his, after his wife passed away, he started coming. We became his family. And I joke with him every every single Sunday. He would sit first service. And, and he'd stay through often two or three services. And then Marlene Carlin's passed away this week as well. And she would sit right there, right, right over where Val was. And every Sunday, I'd walk by and she... she Jake, bring it over. You know, I'd have to give her a hug and a kiss. You know, uh, she was a smart woman. That's why I'm at for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was driving in this morning going, I'm not going to see her again. And you think, oh, that's, you know, the, the lives of people in this place matter to, to us, don't they? They do. And to be remembered, I'm going to remember them. There's several people that throughout the course of the last 23 years that are not here that are, that are Troy Barnes. He was, a, he was a, young gentleman, a young boy in our youth group that grew up here and went in the military and he died. He, he died in the military. His picture is out there. We commemorate him every uh, Remembrance Day. His face is out there. And the thief on the cross calling out to Jesus in his last moments to remember him. That's the, that's the, that's the one I want to have remember me more than anybody else. Remember me. But when you begin to bring into context what, what this, these men have done and women have done through the ages, to a soldier whose future is always uncertain, that's a soldier's life. It's uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen. To know that these crosses represent people that are no longer here. The, the one, the little cenotaph we set up, that I don't know if you know, but that, that each one with a name on it was a, a, a boy from Barrie area that gave his life in World War I. Those are all people from this area. In fact, last year, one of the people that helped bring in the uh, honor guard was looking there, and he went, oh, my goodness, there's, that's my grandfather's name. He's still here from Barrie. To know that he loved these men and women, they loved others, they, and, and it's essential Love is essential in the life and death struggle going into a battlefield, knowing all the different struggles. To know that someone cared and lived and breathed and, and, and had dreams, to, to know that they were loved, to be remembered. What they gave up is something that we want to do at least once a year so that the freedom was not free. It's vital to those who serve, I believe, that there are those back at home keeping the fires warm, doing what's needed to do. Being loved in some cases is the difference between life and death on the battlefield. And I'm going to ask our first guest actor. You might recognize her as Carla Small, but today she is our actor here. Give, give attention to her story. These stories originate from Andrew Carroll's uh, War Letters. It's a book with, full of war le letters from war, people that have written from the battlefield, and uh, 
and sent them back home and all kinds of incredible letters. Really moving. Give your attention to Carl. Annie, I just received your last letter in this morning's mail. I held it in my hand for a minute while a little voice in the back of my head whispered, this is it. This is the one. Oh yeah, I knew it was coming. I could tell from the tone of your last few letters. Have you forgotten how well we know each other? You tried to let me down easy. Well, if it's any consolation to you, you did it about as well as a thing like that can be done. But then we wouldn't have wanted it to be too easy, would we? You ask me if I understand. I do. I never said I was the greatest guy on earth. You did. I just agreed with you. But to be fair, we didn't mention any other places. You didn't mention what planet you were going to live on, either. This or his. Anyway, he's there, I'm here. Be careful, you tell me. Take care. I almost laughed out loud. We wouldn't want to see me hurt, would we? There's no need to worry about me. I'll be all right, I swear it. You have other things to think about now. Hopes to hope, wishes to wishes, dreams to dream, a life to live, and I wish you the best of all there is. Now, now I will do what I have no choice but to do. But how? Do I say something brilliant like, may all your troubles be little ones? Or do I treat this like a tennis match? I did my best, it just wasn't good enough. And the best man won. How's that? How about if you ever need a friend? That presumes a future. There are 500,000 North Koreans and Chinese on the other side of that hill, bound and determined to make sure that I don't have a future. Over here where your past is your last breath, your present is this breath, and your future is your next breath. You don't make too many promises, which leaves me what? Goodbye. Leon. The soldier's future is always uncertain. And in this young man's case, uh, his fiance, girlfriend, breaks up with him. Two days later, Leon runs into a machine gun nest where he's killed instantly. Um, love's important. To be remembered, to be thought about, to, to have real situations and real emotions and challenges, it's, it's a difficult thing. Jesus reveals an unconditional agape love to us. Thanks, Carla. It's seen when he hangs on the cross, when he's bleeding and dying. He's dying, literally dying for men and women who hated him. The Bible says, while we were hostile toward God, he loved us. While we were hostile, mankind was hostile toward Jesus. And Jesus only wanted the best for each and every one of us, whereas his killers wanted the worst. And yet, he could have called 10,000 angels to his side, and yet he laid down his life. So what does unconditional love mean to us as a church body today? What, is, what does it mean to have this unconditional agape love? What does it look like today, today, honestly? 
Are you willing to lay down your life for anyone here? It's been hard for me to, over the years, to really, and I don't know if you probe the same way as, like, what is, how do I live out an unconditional love? Because it seems such a great challenge, hard to comprehend, a love great enough that one is willing to lay down their life for another. I'm not sure that I'm quite there yet. And over those years and trying to explain it to myself and obviously is the the role I have here to explain to others, I don't think words can really explain it very well. I don't think, how do you explain unconditional love with words? And yet Jesus, I've demonstrated it to us. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 are words and they're nice and we say them at weddings and all kinds of things, but, but words can be very cheap, whereas... Actions now. Actions amplify what's in our hearts. You, you can begin to tell somebody, an individual by the actions, not just by their words, but by their actions. And here's the verse of scripture that has really opened my heart to the, what unconditional love looks like. And it's in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. And he says, this is how we know what love is. You want to know what love is? is I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to, I'm going to show you. This is how we, Jesus laid down his life for us. That's love. That's, you want to define love? Look at someone who dies for you and you go, that guy loved me. And this goes on and says this though. This is the, this is the clincher. This is, this is, this is powerful, but let's not miss it. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's the clincher. Why is the church less than powerful today when we talk about everything? How often are you ready to lay down your life for your brother? You want to convince them of your ideas, your opinions, your thoughts, your How Laying down. Jesus says that we're to lay down our life for our enemy. Never mind for a brother. In February, I was walking... Uh, down by a trailer in Florida where we stay. And I noticed this little bumper sticker down near the bottom that read, all gave some, some gave all. Like it was obvious to me as we walked by the trailer that this belonged to a a war veteran and most likely a Vietnam veteran. And it's the reference or the call of a soldier, a soldier going off to war to place his life on hold. There, There again, placing their lives on hold for a cause that was greater than their own safety and security. In our case, we look back and remember those who gave something precious away. All gave some. Time, energy, effort, loved ones. That we might enjoy where we are today as Canadians. All gave some. But some gave all. Some gave all. It was a total gift. Remembrance Day is not politically motivated for me. It's gratitude motivated. I'm grateful. And it's why we think about these things. All gave some, some gave all. Why is it important to remember? Why take this time? Well, the price of our freedom and what we enjoy so glibly at times came at a great cost. Now, I'm not thinking we're always glib about it, but I think we have to make sure we shake off any glibness that we just kind of think this is what we deserve and we get this and this is our own. We're such entitlement and you must do. No, this was so costly, a cost that is often 
not remembered by so many. I, I was, you know, just pause for a second. I was reading an article about, um, oh, it, uh, it's a grocery chain. Um, that's it, Jason Whole Foods. Uh, I read it. I, I thought, what, what's going on? The Whole Foods uh, company has outlawed wearing poppies to their um, employees during Remembrance Day. It's not part of the uniform, therefore you can't wear it. How, how far have we been removed from remembering those that allowed us to have business and enterprise and make money? Now I know there's some pushback to that, but the fact that there's even a, a poppy. Strange things going on, people, right? <laughs> I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget anybody who's no longer with us. All gave some, some gave all. There's a price for our freedom. I mean, these days of 2020, in our own obsession with security and comfort, we pit neighbor against neighbor because of some of those things going on right now. I'm, and I'm, I'm not wanting to forget the great price because what's going on today does not look anything like what that looks like to me. I just want to remind ourselves of the great privilege we have. So here's where the great bait and switch. Every good pastor knows how to bait and switch when you want to. Bait and switch is this. Here's, I want you to connect with a soldier's life. I want you to understand the, the dramatic intensity of being a soldier going on a beachfront where there's people that hate you that want to kill you. That's the bait. And the switch is, that's how you and I are to live as believers. That's a mandate out of Scripture. God's word is quite specific in the connection with the words penned in the second letter to Timothy, the, his young soldier of the cross, this young protege of Paul's, when he writes this, the second letter, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Here comes the switch. You see, what you see here in the physical realm is the way we ought to live our lives for Jesus in the spiritual realm. That's how we would. There's certainly a, a call to believers to action, not just with words, but with our behavior, with our hearts involved to care. Actions speak louder than words in 2020. As a Christian, I've learned a lot from observing and reading about our men and women in arms throughout history. It's been like a little sidebar for me. I'm so interested in those things. But I think it comes back to the fact that, that some of that calling is how you and I as believers in Jesus are to live our lives. And we need to remind ourselves that, that this is a calling of God, that the world is still not in favor of you as a believer. They're not going to just make way because you show up. Physical soldiers, C.S. Lewis, physical soldiers are assigned to me of one who needs to persevere through adversity. That's what you're called to do today, church. Persevere through adversity. How to continue to find ways to make stands in the midst of life and death struggles. And there are life and death struggles happening all around us all the time. And this is where C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory, a great book. He says this, the life of a soldier on active duty consists of every potential hardship, all wrapped up in a one hazardous environment that most spend their lives fleeing. Okay, I get that. If you're in the world, you flee hardship, you flee adversity. You do. But as a believer in Jesus, we have to stand in the gap and care for those that can't care for themselves. Be kind for those that have not received any kindness. Pray for those 
that would just as soon as punch you. Like a disease, he goes on to say, like a disease, soldiering threatens suffering, pain, and death. Like poverty, soldiering threatens meager accommodation, bitter cold, unbearable heat, terrible thirst, and genuine hunger. Like slavery, soldiering threatens forced labor, mandatory capitulation, injustice, and punitive rule. Like exile, soldiering separates you from all whom you love and everything you cherish. Like the galleys of old, soldiering imprisons you at close quarters, Soldiering threatens every temporary evil. That's what we are living in. And there's a chaos out around us. Just step outside these walls, step into our culture, step into this past week's uh, uh, elections and the world's looking in and boy, it may get a whole lot tougher. It's challenging, but it's always been challenging. Let me reference Jason Weening, who's going to come and be our second act here. Give your attention to this sad story written by a soldier in World War II near the end of the war. May 2, 1945. Dearest Mom and Lou, a year ago today I was sweating out shells on the Anzio beachhead. Today I'm sitting in the city of Munich writing a few lines home. What a contrast. A still greater contrast is that between this city here and the living hell of Dachau concentration camp, only 10 miles from here. I had the misfortune of seeing the camp yesterday, and I still find it hard to believe what my eyes told me. A railroad runs alongside the camp, and as we walked toward the boxcars on the track, I thought of some of the stories I previously had read about Dachau and was glad of the chance to see it for myself just to prove once and for all that what I had heard was propaganda. But no, it wasn't propaganda at all. If anything, some of the truth had been held back. In two years of combat, you can imagine I've seen a lot of death, furious deaths mostly, but nothing has ever stirred me as much as this. The first boxcar I came to had about 30 what once were humans in it. All were just bone with a layer of skin over them. Most of the eyes were open and had an indescribable look about them. They had that beaten, what did I do to deserve this kind of look. 20 to 30 other boxcars were the same. Bodies on top of each other, no telling how many. No identification as far as I could see. And then into the camp itself. Filthy barracks suitable for about 200 persons held 1,500. 160,000 persons were originally in the camp and 32,000 were alive, or almost alive, when we arrived. There's a gas chamber and furnace room in one barracks. Two rooms were full of bodies waiting to be cremated. 
In one room, they were all nude. In the other, they had prison clothes on, as filthy as dirt itself. How can people do things like that? I never believed they could until now. Well, enough for now. Miss you all very much. Your son, Horace. Is this, this is real people, real moments of time. Can't be lost in us. Can't be lost in the importance of, of remembering, but also being a church that stands up in the midst of all kinds of horror and challenge. There were at least 23 extermination camps in Europe, 900 sub-camps supplying the extermination camps, supplying, I'm not talking about food and gas and provision, I'm talking about people that they killed. More than 11 million people were exterminated, 1.5 million of them children. Over 6 million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. Romans chapter 1, verse 30. The Bible, we come back to the Bible. This is, should not be shocking to you as a believer. You come back to the Bible, and guess what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 30, written 2,000 years ago. Men will invent ways of doing evil. It's right there for us. And the temporary evil of man is hideous and challenging. Recent days and talk to some of the new Canadians that have come in from different lands and they know all too well some of them from lands that where some of these atrocities happened and they lost millions of people not millions and millions it's, it's such so far outside of our thinking that we can't even hardly comprehend it but in the midst of man's evil God sends a savior a, a, a mighty warrior that looks like no earthly soldier he comes to enter the evil, the rottenness, the, the, the sinfulness of man. Stop looking at people, stop looking at countries, stop looking at races as, as a, it's sin nature that makes some of these things come alive. And the only thing to combat the sin nature is Jesus' death. We can call it all kinds, but it's a sin nature. For this, First John chapter 3, verse 8, listen to God's word. This is, hot. this is so important for us to understand that we are now soldiers of the cross, that the body of Christ needs to stand up. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. He came to destroy racism, uh, uh, all, the, all the, the terror and awful and the hideous prejudice and discrimination. Jesus comes, and, but the world, if you don't embrace Jesus, you're only going to be operating from yourself, your, your old flesh, and that you're going to find people just overwhelmed, overwhelmed by it. But unlike the soldiers trying to kill their enemies, Jesus went and second mile laid his life down for his enemies. That's the high calling of Jesus. Greater love is no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. But we're, we're that church. We're to do that. That's our calling today. God gave his son. In, he, gave, he gave his son to go into battle 
to, to, to risk his, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He gave his only son to a world that hated him to go fight a struggle that could not be overcome in the natural, that he died hanging on the cross. Jesus was killed in action. He was the original soldier of the cross, but he came to redeem man, come to pay the penalty of man's sin. He went to war to redeem our freedom to help us to escape from the demonic snares of the flesh and the natural man and all his plans. He was wounded for our transgressions. Jesus did all of this. He put himself in harm's way that I might come out of this better. But it's our time. God spilt his own blood on the Flanders fields of this earth on my behalf, but now I must exhibit courage and commitment to the call of God. That's what the church is supposed to be. And the thief on the cross and the dying moments, that's why I want to be remembered by the one who created me. I want to be remembered by Jesus. Do you want to be remembered by, do you want to make a mark for God? Then, then let, let's stand up and, and, and be strong where you are. I'm not saying being crazy or goofy or fanatical, but can you just reflect kindness and grace and mercy in a world that doesn't have that right now? Can you lay down some of your own privileges and rights in order to help somebody, encourage somebody, pray with somebody? Today, Today, we remember the people who have shaped Canada, who left their home and native land, who left teary-eyed moms and dads standing at the doors of their home, wondering if that was the last time they would ever see their little boy or little girl again. We don't celebrate, but we do commemorate those who left the arm, those that left the arms of their young, beautiful wives and girlfriends. Well, that would quite literally be you with Taylor. See you, Taylor, going off to war. Hope I can come back. Who chose to live among the dirt and destruction and death of war. The fathers who left their small, innocent sons and daughters crying at the doors, wondering where he had gone and when he would come home. That we would commemorate those who separated best friends and brothers, not knowing at what moment their life would be in danger and then taken from them. It's not a political event, Remembrance Day. It's a gratitude event. Let's be grateful, whether you're a new Canadian, old Canadian, or, I don't know, just Canadian. My final word to all of us is simply this. You're worthy of such men and women. You are the people, you are the church body that God has called to go into this 20th century and this 2020 year and in further. But you need to respond to the call of God to be counted as being a soldier of the cross. And that's not being militant. I'm not talking about building bunkers and talking about with your kindness and your love and your mercy. Not willing to shrink back from death and be counted among the faithful, willing to demonstrate unconditional love. Demonstrate, not just talk about it, not just say what, but live it, show it. We may not be in a physical battle today like we are reflecting this morning, but we certainly are in a spiritual battle. And it's a real one. And it's looking for to do damage. Let's be a church that's ready to heed the call to arms spiritually. Let's be prayer warriors. Let's be givers. Let's be hospitable. 
Let's be kind. Let's, let's go out into the cold this winter and help the disenfranchised and the marginalized. Let's give them blankets. Let's give them food. Let's, let's make sure that the church is being counted. We are the soldiers of the cross this morning. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that many of us in this place are going through all kinds of challenges and worries and concerns and anxieties. Lord, I thank you that you, have, you, you are there with us through those things. And even though we don't understand all the question why and how we're going to get through it, Lord, we continue to look to you, the word of God, to give us strength. We continue to partner together as friends and family in this place. We continue to move forward as a, as a team, as a unit, as, as those praying for one another, helping one another, making sure that none fall behind, that we go back for every soldier, Lord, that we're not willing to speed so far ahead that we leave anybody in the, in, in the dirt. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that you do something unique among us as believers in this place. It can only speak for this place, Lord. But I pray that you start to stir hearts and there would be a compassion and a love and a mercy that would continue to grow. And, and, and Lord, this would be a safe, secure place for all people. We would bring the wounded and the broken in through these doors and there would be help and solace for them, Lord. We want this place to be a hospital, a, a, a university of new thoughts and ideas, a, a, a temple of uh, where holiness and, and we can touch God. There's, we want you, Jesus, more than anything at this time. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our cries and our prayers, that you're not forsaking any one of us. And we thank you, Lord, for all those that have gone before us, that you've called to go before us. We thank you for this land. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' precious name. And everybody would say, Amen. And amen.